Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Mark My Word is a message series designed to bring a Christ-centered focus into your life through the power of one word. Our speaker today is Senior Minister Dee Bacon. Well, good morning. I am so glad to be here today with you. Yeah, if you uh, aren't aware of this, my name is Dee Bacon, and I'm a senior minister here. It's been uh, four years since we moved to this location from a location on Mount Carmel, Tabasco Road. January the 11th, 2015. Unbelievable how quickly that's gone, hasn't it? You know, when we were discussing our move, we considered perhaps maybe changing our name, changing the name of our church. When we first uh, were birthed as a church, we were known as the Clough Heights Church of Christ. And then when location was moved to Mount Carmel, Tabasco Road, the name was changed to the Mount Carmel Church of Christ. And then a little while later, we changed that to Mount Carmel Christian Church. We kept the Mount Carmel part. So when we were thinking about moving, conversation amongst leadership was, well, do we change our name since we're moving uh, quite a bit away from Mount Carmel itself? out to here on Buck Buxton, maybe we change our name and change the Mount Carmel part. Well, obviously we chose to keep Mount Carmel, and I am thrilled that we did. I'm thrilled that we did. It's who we are and what we're about. Nice thing about Mount Carmel is it's not only a place off 32 down the road, more importantly, Mount Carmel is a biblical place. It's a place located in northern Israel. It's a place that, if you look on the map, kind of juts out a little bit into the sea, and it's a high place. It's a mountainous region. The word Carmel means vineyard or garden of God, and if you're familiar with that part of the world, I was there last year, and I was able to see it in the distance. We were in Galilee in a place called Sephoris on a high place, and we could look over, and there was the mountain range of Mount Carmel, and it's just, uh, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a high place with vegetation on top. It is the mountain where the garden of God is. One of the things I love about Mount Carmel, it's the site of one of my most favorite stories contained in the Old Testament, the site of the contest between Elijah, the prophet of God, and the 450 prophets of Baal. Baal was an idol. At the time, Israel was split into two kingdoms. It was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was known as Judah, and it was ruled by the kings that were descendants of David. That's where Jerusalem was. The northern kingdom were ruled by various lineages, different kinds of kings, but in general, every single one of them were bad. Every single one of them were unfaithful to God. And at the time of Elijah, the time of the contest with the prophets of Baal, the king of Israel was a man named Ahab. Ahab was a weak man. He was weak and wicked. And the real strength behind Ahab, the real force in the nation, was his strong-willed, despicable wife. Her name was Jezebel. I mean, even today, the word Jezebel has become synonymous with a wicked woman. Jezebel was not an Israelite. She was a foreigner. She was a worship of idols. Jezebel hated the worship of God and took it upon herself to make it her mission to work through her weak husband to eradicate the worship of God in Israel and establish idolatry, establish the worship of other gods, one such god being Baal. 
Now, because of Israel's rejection of God, God punished the people. He punished them with the view to bring about repentance. He wanted them to pay attention to the fact that they needed to turn back to their promise to follow him. And so he brought about a punishment, and that punishment was a severe drought which lasted for years. That drought brought the attention of the people and the king to the words of Elijah who said, you guys need to decide. This drought can end if you turn your hearts back to God. And you guys need to decide who's your God. Let's do this. I'm going to set up a confrontation, a place by which you can make a decision. Are you going to worship God, the God of your forefathers, the God of Israel, or are you going to worship Baal? And the way this competition will work, let's all meet at Mount Carmel, the mountain of God, the vineyard, the garden of God up on the mountain. Let's meet there. And in that place, which is a high place, a place of worship, you prophets can set up an altar, and I will set up an altar. And what we'll do is we'll put a sacrifice on that altar, and we will each crawl out to our God, and whoever's sacrifice is accepted, whoever's sacrifice is consumed by the power of their God, their God, and that's going to be the God for the people of Israel. Well, that was all agreed upon, and so they all met at Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal, one prophet of God, Elijah. Elijah said, you know, since there are you, you're many, how about you guys go first? And so the prophets of Baal set up their altar, built up the stones, put the wood on, cut up an oxen, which where they were sacrificing to their God, and laid it there. And then they began their worship. And their worship was in a form of, of crazy dancing, wild gesticulations. Hey, there's a word. Uh, and all sorts of craziness. And they began that from morning to, till noon, calling on Baal to, to come and consume the sacrifice. Well, from morning to noon, they tried and they tried. They called out onto their God and there was no response. Nothing. Around about lunchtime, Elijah starts getting into the action. He starts kneeling. He starts teasing. He's like, hey, maybe, maybe you're not being loud enough, guys. I mean, maybe your dude is, is asleep. He's preoccupied. In fact, the language implies that he says, maybe Baal is in the bathroom. And you need to get his attention. And so they hear this. They start working themselves even to more of a frenzy, screaming and shouting. In fact, the Bible says they start cutting themselves with knives and letting their blood flow to show their devotion to their God, calling upon Baal to come down in fire and consume the offering. And what happened? Nothing. They did it from lunchtime to dinner time. Nothing. Blue skies. No response. So then Elijah said, okay, now it's my turn. There on Mount Carmel was an altar that had been dedicated to God. It had been destroyed. It had been torn down, part of the policies of Queen Jezebel. He said, let's take 12 stones, each stone representing a tribe of Israel, and let's construct this altar of God. And he took the wood and he placed it on top. He slaughtered the oxen and placed the pieces on top of that. And he said, well, we're going to do one more thing. I want you to fill out these, these, these containers, these huge containers of water, and I want you to pour those containers out 
onto the sacrifice. And they, they poured the four containers onto the sacrifice one time. And he said, well, let's, let's do that again for good measure. And so they came and they poured it the second time. And he said, well, you know, three's a charm. Let's do that again. And he did it again. And the entirety of the, the altar was soaked with water. In fact, Bible says water was all over it. It soaked the, the stones, the wood, the sacrifice, and flowed into a trench that they had dug around the altar. That filled up too, like a little moat. Then Elijah said, okay, let's pray. Elijah called out to God, and fire came down from heaven. Whoosh! And it burned up the sacrifice, and it burned up the wood, and it burned up the stones, and it burned up the water that was contained in the trench. Whoosh! And when the people who were there witnessing it soared, they all fell down and they cried out in one voice, the Lord is our God. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh is our God. And in that moment, Elijah said, if Yahweh is our, your God, then who are these 450 guys? And he had them all executed. It was a mighty deed. It was a mighty blow to the idolatry of the people. It was a great victory for God. Then Elijah turned to Ahab and said, Ahab, buddy, you can go home. By the time you get home, before you get home, it's going to be raining because the people have made the right choice. And sure enough, that's what happened. Now, the Bible says now when Ahab got home, he sat down with his wife Jezebel and have a conversation about the day. So how was your day, honey? Right? One of those conversations. And Jezebel found out about the 450 prophets of Baal getting slaughtered. She found out about what happened on Mount Carmel, and she was not happy. She threw a fit. And her anger burned particularly at one person, Elijah. And she sent him a personal communication that basically said, what happened to those 450 is going to happen to you, buddy, and I'm going to make it happen. She sent a death threat to Elijah. And the Bible says this. When Elijah received the news from Jezebel, he was afraid. And he ran. And he fled in fear, looking to hide. Now, i got to ask, how can that be? I mean, this is the dude, that's a biblical term, this is the guy that just challenged the prophets of Baal, just called on God to consume with fire the altar drenched in water, and it happened, had the 450 prophets of Baal executed, was the instrument of God bringing about this massive occasion on Mount Carmel where the people cried out in one voice, the Lord is God. How does he go from that to running from his life because he receives a personal death threat by the wicked queen Jezebel? How does he go from faith to fear? Well, obviously, there was something going on with Elijah that I think will be important for us to take note of regarding faith and fear. First of all, let's identify fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. And I like the way someone put it. Fear 
is false evidence appearing real. Fear is when you construct a story in your mind that you believe to be true even though it's not true and you live by that assumption. You go with false evidence and you treat it as if it's real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Elijah, if he had responded in faith, would have known that the God of Mount Carmel, the one who burned up the altar, was plenty big enough, plenty strong enough, plenty capable enough to deal with Jezebel and take care of him personally regarding her death threat, right? That would be truth-based, faith-based. But instead, instead, somehow Elijah in his mind believed that the God who showed up at Mount Carmel was incapable of taking care of the death threat he received from Jezebel regarding his own personal safety. Fear, false evidence appearing real. And you know, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. I struggle with fear at times. I struggle trusting in the God of the big to take care of my issues in the small. I gotta suspect you do too. One minute you can be praying for your friend, for your family member, that they might be cured of cancer, that they may be released from whatever ailment is bothering them, and you pray with all your heart, believing that God can do it, yet you're scared to death of catching a cold. You can proclaim at church that, that God is able and, and that we are able to trust in Him. And you can gather in church and your heart may be filled and say, I trust God to take care of my needs. And then you get home and you find out the water heater is busted, the sump pump is not working, something's going wrong, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, God's abandoned me. What am I going to do? And you work yourself into a tailspin believing false evidence as if it's real, and you lose your faith and trust in God because it's something happening to you personally. Large moments and proclamation of faith get undermined because false evidence appears real in your personal, and somehow you miss that. How do we get there? How does that happen? How do we go through that? Well, the story that precedes the interaction that God has with Elijah in verse 19 of 1 Kings, gives us instruction. And I will tell you, it has to do with hearing God. It has to do with being able to personally receive God's communications in our life. Because when we receive God's word, it clarifies for us what is real and what isn't, and it brings us to a confidence. And it has to do with hearing God's word. In our book, we're going through one word, discover your word. Step number two in finding your word is look up and plug in. Remember step one, one is prepare your heart, open your heart. Step two is look up, that is look to God and plug in. That means focus so that you might receive what God has for you. And this is a great process to go through and preparing yourself to hear God's one word for you in, in the year. But I will tell you this, this is also a good training for you on a daily basis to receive what God's word is for you as you go in your walk of faith in studying His Word. This is a good process on, on getting the most out of, of your Bible study, of your quiet time. And what we have here is a process given to us, a lesson given to us regarding how God speaks to us and the way in which He chooses by, primarily to communicate to us in order to dispel fear 
and grow faith. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We, we pick out the story with Elijah hiding in a cave. It says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? How do we get here, Elijah? What's going on, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Can you just hear the fear in Elijah's voice? You just see here the victim mentality, how he's feeling sorry for himself. You can see how false evidence has become real to him. And the statements he makes, all these, these broad statements that, that pretty much characterize his situation as being un, unable to do anything about, and he's, he's, he's in trouble, and he's a victim, and, and God is abandoned. Do you hear all of that in that? False evidence appearing real. But then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Here's, here's what you need to understand, Elijah. Here's what you need to understand if you're struggling with fear. Here's how faith works. This is how God speaks to us. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Go out and, and be able to connect with the presence of God, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, a hurricane, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So what's all that about? I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about how to summarize this in a statement. What's this all about? Well, I'll tell you what this is all about. This is the lesson. When it comes to God's communications, what God wants is children, not fans. God wants children, not fans. Children you whisper to. Fans come for the big show. Fans think life change occurs when something dynamic happens in front of them. Children know that comfort and power is provided when they hear the small whisper of God in their life. The clear communication of God's Word in our life is what gives us the strength, what gives us the perspective, what gives us the faith we need to overcome fear. See, our problem, Elijah's problem, is that we think that God only shows up in the big. We're in many ways like that crowd. The crowd of Israelites who were standing there wouldn't say anything when they were challenged, who is your God? They wouldn't say anything until what? Until they saw the show, until they saw the fire come down from heaven and consume the altar. And then they said, the Lord is God. But we know from the story that when they went back home, when they went about their daily life, did they continue to live as the Lord was their God? No, they went back to idolatry. They were captivated by fear. They thought that idols were more powerful than the God that they just witnessed burn up the altar. They believed 
the lie and began to live by that lie and hence lost their way, were disobedient to God and had no faith. See, when we assume that God only shows up in the big, it puts us in a situation where we're vulnerable. If we assume that God can only speak to us in the kind of music that we like or in the preacher we prefer, that when we come to church and we see something good in life, then it's a matter of, you know, if I give money, then I'll get what I want. That my experience in church is not about, is not a, is, is, is not about serving, but to be served and be filled up. If that is the way we think that the way God works, then we're missing the point and we become vulnerable to fear. No, the message is this. God is not in the big. He's not in the show. He's not in the, the wind and the way and, and, the, and the earthquake and the, and the fire. No, God is in the gentle whisper because God is looking for children not fans. He's looking for children, not consumers. He's looking for conversation in the quiet, not impressing in the spectacular. God's looking for children, not fans. And therefore, we need to understand that if we're going to receive God's Word, the Word that comes to us that helps us overcome our fear helps us to live by faith, then we need to understand that God whispers. God whispers to us in our quiet because we're His children. It's brought to life in the story that I read of a preacher named Mike Iaconelli. A great name, Mike Iaconelli. Mike was doing a lot of traveling. In fact, uh, he was traveling so much that he was getting worn out, tired. You know, traveling sounds good at first, and then you start doing it, and you get really tired of sitting in airports Mr. Flight, stuck in the airport in San Francisco, was very, very frustrated, mad about the whole situation, called his son, wanted some encouragement from his boy, began to explain the situation. I'm stuck at the airport again. Can't believe this is happening, blah, blah, blah. Son wasn't very sympathetic. Son said, well, you know, Dad, if you didn't have to travel so much, you wouldn't have this problem. Mike goes, get off the phone. Let me talk to my grandson. Um, his grandson was two. So here's the problem with talking with a two-year-old. The two-year-old can't speak well. Mike said, I'm six years old. I can't hear very well. It's not a good conversation, right? Not a good communication thing going on. And he began increasingly becoming frustrated because the grandson wasn't talking and he wasn't understanding. And this frustration began to be exacerbated more and more. He's feeling sorry for himself. He's feeling, you know, overwhelmed. He's feeling terrible. And then what made worse, the grandson just dropped the phone. And there's Mike listening, and he's hearing the phone clunk, clunk, drop, and then he's hearing the boys play, and he's hearing the kids, and he's even feeling worse. He's out of it. He's lonely. He's, he's feeling sorry for himself. He's in a position that perhaps is like Elijah in his cave. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, clear as a bell, comes a little voice. I love you, Grandpa. Mike said when he heard that whisper, everything just melted away. His anxiety, his anger, everything melted away. Too many times we're looking for God in the big, in the spectacular. We're so busy running, 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 looking to, to, to get things under control, to, to make things happening. We're so run, busy running, looking for God to show up in blazing lights. We don't realize that in looking for him in the lights, we miss out in hearing from him in the whisper. In the whisper where he says, to his children, I love you. You know, going through the book, we have 
really some good practical advice on creating moments in which we can be quiet and we can hear God's whisper. We can look up, find a place where you can dedicate time to be with God, to look up, Bible study and prayer. Plug in. Plug in is, has to do with focus. It has to do with intent. You can sit down and look at your Bible and your mind's going all over the place. You go set up a place where it's not very really good. People are in and out. It's not a good place to plug in. Even though you're trying to look up, you can't plug in because there's so many distractions. Find a place on a regular basis in which you can plug in. Focus. Pay attention. And then I've added a piece. It's not in the book, but it's the piece listen because sometimes we can plug in look up plug in and we receive it but we don't really take what we've received into our life and live it out and it's important listen means take and internalize the word the word that you receive the word that you have been given whether it be the one word in this process or more importantly the word of god when you do your study of god's word and let him speak to you in the whisper and when he speaks into a whisper understand he whispers to his children and that's the place where God is because he's not in the fire and he's not in the earthquake and he's not in the wind, but in the whisper. A few weeks ago, I had opportunity to spend some significant time looking up and plugging in and listening. So at the beginning of the year, I was in Dominican Republic, went for a mission trip, a number of athletes from Northern Kentucky University with a preacher who's a preacher in northern Kentucky as well as a professor and a golf coach. He led the, led the mission trip and we were partnering with the ministry there in Dominican Republic doing uh, sports camps for this church that was in this very not very good area. Sports camps and we helped a member of the church build a house which is more like a shack for her and her family to live. It was a great time. In that moment in Taken out of my usual way of living, it was a good time not only to serve, but it was a good time to look up, plug in, and listen. And as I did that, I'll tell you, uh, God brought to me the word, clarified the word that's been on my heart. My word for 2019 is the word small. Small. What do you mean by small? Small is this. Small is to give my best energy to the things that are small in my life that I do on a repetitive basis. So to pay attention to the way I eat, so it's honoring God. To pay attention to the way I take care of my body, so it is honoring God. More importantly, pay attention to my small moments with God in my quiet time, in my prayer, in my Bible study, in the habits that regularly connect me with Him, so that I might listen and hear His whispers. Focus on the small in terms of the relationships, not, not the, the big relationship, but more the, the intimate relationships, those closest to me, my wife, my children, my, my friends, the members of my discipleship group, the individuals that God brings into my life to, to serve and to be served by in the mentoring relationship, to pay attention to those things. And in ministry-wise, pay attention to the small. Give my best energy to the fostering of small in our church not only in my conversations with, with folks and my ministry, but also encouraging others to get into groups where we have small occurring. Because I have become convinced that life change doesn't occur in the big in this moment. No, life change occurs in the small. And God's work, Jesus' way is to bring about discipleship, devotion in the small that then energizes and brings power to the big. 
And so we have a saying, staff has been hearing me say it over and over. You're going to hear me say it over and over, right? As a church, we want to go small, we want to go strong, and we want to go slow. Why? Because God whispers to his children, and in the whispers of God is the life change that occurs in our life. Now, I did something else a little differently, too, to add to my words, small. I went through an activity with the team that was there. It was the last night. It was a challenge. I said, you know, I've come to know each one of you, and I'm, I'm really come to appreciate you, and I've been asking the Lord, what is it that I, I need to pray for each one of you? What's the one thing I can pray for all of you as young college students, college athletes facing most of your life ahead of you, looking to live your faith? Each one of them had different places where they were in their faith. What is it that I, that I need to pray for you? And the word that came to me was, I need to pray for wisdom for them. It's what King Solomon asked for when he was faced with the task of leading Israel. He said, God, give me wisdom. God said, you can have anything you want. And he said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom. Wisdom is beginning of the fear of the Lord is wisdom. In other words, making the commitment to follow God. And from wisdom, we are able to know how to do the right thing in God's economy in the right way for the right results at the right time. Right? It's one thing to, to know what to do. It's another thing to apply what you know what to do in order to get good results. That's wisdom. And so I said, I want to pray for wisdom for you. I want you to hear God's word of wisdom to you. And I said, let's do this. And we went through an exercise that a friend of mine incur, uh, kind of talked me about. I said, let's pray and then let's be quiet and let's use our imaginations to imagine ourselves at 70 years old. Imagine yourself at 70 and you're having a conversation with yourself at 70 Ask your 70-year-old self, what bit of advice would you give to me now? What wisdom would you give from the Lord to me? And so we went through that process, and I had a conversation with my 70-year-old self. 70-year-old Didi looks pretty fit still. He's a little grumpy, but that happens when you get to 70, I hear. But 70-year-old Didi said this. He said, Didi, don't play it safe. You're at a time in your life when things are going rather well. You're at a time in your life when, you know, you've got experience, you've got some confidence under your belt. There's really nothing new that you haven't seen or have an idea of how to take care of. Your confidence levels are high. The trouble is you have a tendency to, can be a tendency to, to play it safe, to play it easy, to, to coast at this time. Don't do it. As your competences rise, make sure you're investing and continuing to trust in me. That means you're going to have to take actions that push you out of your comfort zone and live by faith, not by fear. Don't play it safe. Don't play it safe when it comes to your commitment to the small. Pay attention. That's what I've been committed to do. See, God speaks to us in whispers. And I share this simply to encourage you. I share this to say that this, this is available to you. It's not something unique to me. No, this is what God wants for all of his children. He wants you to hear his whisper. And when you hear his whisper, he gives you clarity in your life that brings about faith. As you pursue your word, I encourage you to recognize that God speaks in whispers and to listen for his whisper. As you pursue the word in your daily life and as you pursue to live by faith, recognize you're going to face the onslaught of everything that's coming at you to, to, to bring about fear. 
false evidence appearing real that's going to undermine who you are and you're going to end up in a cave and God's going to say, what are you doing here? How is it that you can be here when you just saw what I did at Mount Carmel? In order to be able to understand that lesson, recognize that God speaks in whispers and he speaks to his children. He's not interested in people who come for the show. He's not interested in people who are fans. He's interested in people who are children. And he wants you to be his child, to live by faith, not by fear. God speaks in whispers. So look up. Plug in. Listen. I want to let you stand, our guys, our elders, members of our prayer team. A couple of them are going to come down. They're going to be available to pray with you in person. If you have something on your heart, you need a person to pray with right now. These guys are here, good men, fulfilling the calling to be shepherds. They're also available to give you some counsel, direction regarding your next step and your journey of faith. If you are wanting to make a commitment to become a member of the church family, you want to be a child of God, they can point you in the right direction. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Be baptized. Move into a place in which you become part of our church family and where you get in connected in the small and you can learn how to live for God in that environment. They're available to guide you with that. But now we pray, and after we pray, we'll be dismissed from our time. Thanks so much, Lord, for this time that we can share. Thank you that everyone is here and thank you for your word, the story of Elijah, the power of Mount Carmel, but the lesson of the cave. God's not in the, the whirlwind and God's not in the, the earthquake and God's not in the fire, but he's in the small, gentle whisper. Help us, Lord, to recognize that you're looking for children whom you can whisper in their ear you can communicate, holding them close so they will not be afraid but live by faith. Help us to be able to hear that small voice and to live by that voice of your word in our life. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.